0: Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, for the opportunity to be connected with a people on the other side of the world. We thank you, Lord, that you call us out of ourselves. I pray, Father, that though we look across the ocean, we would also have eyes to look right across the driveway and across the road and across our fences, across our properties and and outside of our homes, right here, Lord. You have placed us in this mission field, and it's a tough one. We recognize that, Lord. We recognize in this time in our country's history, and in this region of our country, where where we are still in the most unchurched region of the entire United States, and we have a tough field that needs uh, Father to be to be broken up and sown for harvest. This is our mission, and so I pray, Lord Jesus, that Your Holy Spirit would break up the fallow ground and would work through us in powerful and new ways, and would and would use us to Your glory, Father. Lord, as we look at this next part of the next chapter of Proverbs, I pray that You'll open our eyes to uh, what You'd have us to see. and Fill our hearts. Fill us with the truth, Father. And give us understanding. And especially help us to see Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. This is a teaching I've wanted to do since we started Proverbs. And, uh, and it's an important one because I think it answers a very difficult question. We've been seeing in the last couple of chapters a lot of discussion by Solomon about the adulterous woman. And there is a movement in the world today, in our country, that is not actually a movement forward, but a movement backward. And Solomon highlights it in a way that is sharp and defined. And the movement is goddess worship. The worship of the feminine. Uh, the worship literally of of the goddess. It's worshipping the adulteress. When we're in the Philippines, one of the largest religious beliefs, or the, the largest religious belief there, is Catholicism, Roman Catholicism. It's very strong, and it's everywhere you go. And what's interesting is you never see emblems of Jesus by Himself. It's always Jesus and Mary. Always Jesus and Mary side by side. We saw this little picture all over Cebu of Jesus and Mary, and, and I thought, you remember when you were kids? Maybe some of you recall this. And there was a little, uh, there was a little game that you could buy at the store, like a thrift store, and it was a bald-headed man and these little fuzzy things. And if you took the little magnet, you could move the fuzzy things around and put a beard on him. Well, I figured they should do that with the faces of Jesus and Mary. Because you could move the beard off of Jesus' face and over to Mary's face and it wouldn't make any difference. (coughs) What I mean by that is even the pictures of Jesus are highly feminine. I started looking at that thinking, well, that's weird. Why is Jesus painted in such a feminine way? And and, and I'm partially kidding, but partially serious. You could move the beard off of Jesus' face over to Mary and you'd have the same picture. Because there's so much of, of the feminine in this. Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The adulterous. We are in an adulterous generation. And part of that is seen in the rise of feminism. Now, ladies, you're going to have to give me a little leeway here this morning to get to the end of the teaching. And not to be offended, because I'm not against equality for women. I believe, you know, equal pay for equal work and, and on and on. But I think we've lost something of the roles of men and women in our country. And I don't believe in a hierarchy where men are boss over women at all. But there is something that's happened, and it began with, with women's liberation, but it's spread out into this highlighting the, the feminine, highlighting the goddess. And, and it is, in epic proportions in our culture, in our in our world today, and what we perhaps have missed is it is a spirit of adultery. It's the spirit of adultery. The lure of the adulteress has been around a long, long time, and this is a very real thing in our world today. It's been around since the earliest days of man, this idea of drawing eyes off of off of God, especially in the masculine sense, and onto this idea of the goddess. And there are those who push for even the Bible to be watered down. We need to pull out all sexual differences, you know. And God needs to not be referred to as He, but as as you know, in the in the plurality of the male or the female, it should be Him or Her, either way. I, did, I just it, that is not how God chose to present Himself. And this lure of the adulteress is very strong. And I'm speaking spiritually, and it's something that we need to be around, aware of. It will be around until the very end of this age. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 says the following. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and spoke with me, John is writing, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations, and of the unclean things of her immorality, and on her forehead a name was written, a mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, and when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Now, if you wonder greatly about what this is talking about, you need to go to the Revelation study online and listen. Revelation chapter 17. We get into that explicitly. But my understanding of this woman riding the beast has has been broadened just since we started Proverbs. And I'm beginning to realize that the woman riding the beast is more than just a religious system, although it is a religious system, That will be around and will come to a point of of destruction. A one world religion. But this religious system has its roots in the spiritual adulteress. In this idea of goddess worship. And it goes all the way back to early days. In the days of Babylon when it was founded by Nimrod. Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis talk about this, 10 and 11. Nimrod founded Babel. Where the tower was built, the city of Babylon. Nimrod was a rebellious man to the Lord. Nimrod had a wife named Semiramis. Semiramis and Nimrod together introduced paganism into the world in a way that it hadn't been seen before, and especially the worship of the goddess. Even that mother-child image that you see so much today, and people say, "Well, that's that's like Mary and Jesus." No, Jesus didn't remain a child. Jesus didn't stay in the manger. Jesus didn't even stay on the cross. Jesus is resurrected and glorified and alive today. And so this has continued on throughout generations. And I, you know, we got to Proverbs and I started reading about this. Beware the adulteress. Beware the adulteress. And it's a father talking to his son about the real concerns. Don't be lured into adultery. But it's also bigger than that. And he talks about this and, and I'm reading this thinking, this is dealing with an issue that is around now that we need to be aware of spiritual adultery and it's anything that would lure away from wisdom that's why in this book adultery is the opposite of wisdom not foolishness the wisdom of God the woman of wisdom or the woman who is the adulteress now tragically as you Bible students know Solomon himself had his faith undermined Anything that would adulterate faith in Jesus Christ, anything, any affair, be it body, spirit, or soul, that would undermine our union with Jesus as Lord and Savior, is spiritual adultery. And it happened to Solomon. First Kings 11, verse 3, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. Spiritual adultery. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart had not been wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his uh, father David had been. Verse 5 tells us, listen to this, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians. Solomon got drawn into goddess worship by spiritual adultery. And it's interesting because this is the very thing he warned his sons against as we open up Proverbs. Be careful of the lure of the strange woman. But here's the thing. For all that, if I was a woman sitting in the church today and listening to this, I might be a little put off. Especially reading the first few chapters of Proverbs, i say, what about the man? You know, the question I've been asked before in John chapter 8, where the woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, everybody says, what about the man? Where's the man? What about the man? Why is the woman always used so harshly? How about the adulterer? And why does the woman always get the bad rap? Well, ladies, you need to understand something from a male perspective. The woman and the picture of a woman is the perfect lure for a man. It's just the way that we're wired. We don't understand you. You remain a mystery to us. And we men are easily lured, especially where a woman is involved. It's, it's the way we. Just ask Adam, you know? It wasn't just the apple, it's who was offering the apple. Okay, okay. You know? <laughs> Eve was deceived, Adam was lured. And think about that, you know? The serpent deceived the woman, but the man said, I'll have some of that too. You know, and went right after it. He was lured into it. Spiritual adultery. But for all the negative feminine personification in the early chapters of Proverbs, the Holy Spirit also offers a positive one, and this is what I want you to think about this morning. Wisdom as a woman. Wisdom as a woman. In Proverbs 8 and 9, wisdom is calling out, personified as a woman. Listen to this. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights, beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Wisdom as a woman. Why? Why, especially with the threat that we've just talked about of spiritual adultery and the threat of the adulteress and the lure of the strange woman and all this going on, why all of a sudden does Solomon personify wisdom as a woman? Well, there are a few things that I want to throw out to you to consider today. Number one, because wisdom is spoken gently. Wisdom is spoken gently. You could say wisdom is soft-spoken. And there are a few things prettier than a woman's voice softly spoken. On the other hand, there are few things more irritating than a belligerent woman. Proverbs 19.13 says, the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. (laughs) Like that. Drip, drip, drip. Men tend to be more blunt with our words. A little more bullish. We don't get the softer side of Sears. You know, What is that? The softer side of Sears. I know that's an old commercial, but come on. Sears is about hardware, you know? That's where you want to be, in the hardware department, the softer side of Sears. Wisdom is spoken gently, like the soft-spoken voice of a woman. There's an old saying that says, wise advice is like the snow. The softer it falls, the deeper it goes and the longer it stays. And so wisdom comes off very well that way. There have been times in our family life when Cheryl has had to literally take me by the arm and kind of lead me to the side out of a lecture with the kids. What I've learned from her is that she can, in a few words, motivate the kids to do something that I will spend an hour lecturing them about. It's the male perspective, it's the female perspective. And there is something to the soft-spokenness of wisdom. And men, we can learn from that speaking gently offering wisdom softly and that is wisdom it's gently spoken because it's true wisdom doesn't have to defend itself and truth isn't out there saying you better believe in me because i'm true dog on it no wisdom doesn't have to do that truth is truth what are we worried about we just present it james said in james 3:17 the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Wisdom as a woman. She speaks softly. She's not all up in your face. She's not cramming proverbs down your throat. By contrast, note the adulteress back in chapter 7, verse 11. She is boisterous and rebellious. She's not gently spoken. <laughs> Her feet do not remain at home. She's now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. You know what that means? I shared this on Wednesday night. That means she just came from church. The adulteress. She just came from Temple. And right after giving her vows and offerings at the temple, now she's trying to lure the man. I think there's something there. But sin has to be loud. And sin has to be boisterous. Sin has to be rebellious and in your face. Have you ever noticed how loud the political sin agendas are out there? How they're just shouting and forceful and mean-spirited. And yet wisdom is spoken gently. Like the soft spoken voice of a woman. And Paul writes in Ephesians 4 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as is good for edification according to the need, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Wisdom is softly spoken. Wisdom, secondly, is spoken compassionately. Gently, yes, but also compassionately. Look at verse 5 of Proverbs 8. O naïve ones, understand prudence. O fools, understand wisdom. It's interesting. Wisdom specifically calls out to the naïve ones and the fools. But you need to understand the translation here. The naïve ones, Peti, in the Hebrew, literally means simple. Wisdom calls out to the simple ones. The root word of Peti is Pata, and it means wide open, spacious. We might say (laughs) empty-headed. Wide open space between your ears. The airhead. Wisdom cries out to the empty-headed. Why did the blonde's house burn down? It's because when she went to dial 911, she couldn't find the number 11. (laughs) 11 on the... (laughs) The simple, the airhead, naive, descri- <laughs> naive describes those who are without knowledge, those, listen, who have not developed understanding, those who simply lack discernment. And so wisdom is compassionate for those. Wisdom recognizes those and doesn't call them down, doesn't say they're stupid, but says, come and listen to me. You haven't had the experience with this. Let me explain to you. Let me fill those empty places in your head. Wisdom has compassionate concern for these. Now the next word is fool. Wisdom is compassionate for the naive ones and for the fools, calling out to the fools, but there are three different Hebrew words for fool. And all three of them are used in the book of Proverbs. The Hebrew word for fool, nabal, which means brutish and means stupidity. And that's not the word that's used here in Proverbs chapter 8. The Hebrew word, a will, which is moral impudence or shamelessness. And that's not the fool that's being talked about here in Proverbs 8. The fool that's being talked about is the Hebrew word, kesil. And kesil means a tendency to make foolish choices. A tendency just to not make... You know, I imagine some of you who have had kids like that. You just watch them and you know they're not complete idiots, but they just make foolish choices. And you're praying for them. You're saying, Lord, they're just they just keep making the wrong choice. they they're, It's a good kid. You know? They're good at heart. They want to do the right thing, but they just kind of keep making. They keep being drawn into these foolish things. They keep choosing poorly. Wisdom calls out to these. To those who are unexperienced or, or, or lack Discernment, And to those who continue to make foolish choices, wisdom is spoken compassionately. Wisdom is the mother who keeps having compassion for a child long after the father has given up. Wisdom is a woman. Number three, wisdom is spoken virtuously. Gently, compassionately, virtuously. Look at verse 6. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterance of my mouth, or the utterances, are in righteousness. There's nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare With her, wisdom is spoken virtuously. Listen to those words again. Noble things, right things, true things, righteous words, straightforward utterances, better than silver, gold, and jewels. That's wisdom. And so Paul wrote, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Virtue is the adornment of wisdom. And virtue is a a feminine perspective. Virtue is a typically a a feminine um, example, a feminine thing. In the words of Stevie Wonder, isn't she lovely? And with men, we tend to think more in terms of things of strength and musculature and and handsomeness. He's handsome. We don't say, he's a virtuous man. We don't often say that. We were sitting across the table at the uh, house in Cebu, the mission house, having breakfast. And uh, the people who run the mission house, actually it's a pastor and his wife who live there during the week and then in their home on the weekends. And they run the mission house there. And a little... uh, a Filipino couple, really special people, and they spent some time with us. And we sat down one morning and we all had our necklaces on, like the guys are wearing. And, and I guess Galen was the only one who had his necklace on that morning. Right? Because she looked across at Galen and she said, may I, may I share something with you? I'm like, oh, this is going to be deep. We're all listening. She said, when men wear those in the Philippines, um, they're usually gay. Oh! <laughs> He's taking it on the chin this morning. (laughs) Don't worry, I've got more on Galen. So, here's this adornment. Well, virtue is the adornment of wisdom. Virtue is something that wisdom pursues. Virtue is not always the top of our list in our lives to pursue, is it? And yet, it should be because it's the pursuit of wisdom. There's a feminine quality to loveliness and, and virtuousness. By the way, wives, specifically of unbelieving husbands, Peter says this to you, your virtue in the Lord is how you win your husband. It's not your words, it's not the constant drip, drip, drip. You should go to church, you should go. That, that's not it. It's your virtue. First Peter chapter 3, verse 3, your adornment must not be external, Braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. And younger girls, there is nothing more attractive to a guy than a girl who loves Jesus, especially to a a, a Christian guy. If you want to attract a Christian young man in your life, young women, then you pursue wisdom and virtue. And you will be incredibly attractive. And Galen understands this. I am. Um... <laughs> this actually uh, is, is a, a good thing. I was, I was really impressed. When we were there in the Philippines, uh, there was a particular young lady who the moment she saw Galen, I think saw herself living in a mansion in America. <laughs> she was going after him. And it, and it was I mean, seriously going after. And Galen kept coming back to me going, I don't know what this is just I mean at one point she wanted him to pray for her and him and he's like, No. <laughs> Not gonna happen. <laughs> And this other girl he mentioned named Rhea, she said, yeah, she's always looking for a shiny new toy. <laughs> <laughs> he was wearing the necklace, yeah, so I don't know what the deal was there. No. So we, we got back to the mission house, Galen and I, and we sat down and, and we were talking about this one evening. And, and Galen said, you know who I really find attractive? It's those girls that are serving and feeding in the barrio. And there are a couple or three different uh, among the Filipino girls that, that Galen was just saying, she is attractive. Can you see why Solomon chose to personify wisdom as a woman? Because there are feminine qualities. We could go on explaining this. We could go through the rest of the chapter, verses 12-16. through 16. We say woman, wisdom is spoken supportively. Like that old phrase behind, every great man is, is a great woman. Or as Jim Carrey once said, is a woman rolling her eyes. I'm not sure which one it is. But wisdom is spoken supportively. Verses 17 through 19. You could say wisdom is spoken passionately. Verses 20 and 21. Wisdom is spoken prosperously. All these things. The support and the backing and, and the work of the quality of women. In verses 22 through 36, wisdom is spoken personally. And where men have a tendency to ride in the superficial in our relationships, women want to get personal. We're going to talk about these things, delve further into these things on Wednesday night. I'm not going to take much more time with this. Uh, We're going to look at Proverbs 8 and 9, which goes further in talking about wisdom as a woman. But in these days of spiritual adultery where the old pagan concept of the goddess is even trying to infiltrate the church and you can see it everywhere, gang. We need to recognize that this personification is not an actual spirit. The goddess or the feminine is not the fourth person in the Godhead. It's not the queen of heaven. Did you know Mary is called the queen of heaven in Catholicism? And yet the Bible only one time refers to the Queen of Heaven as Ashtoreth, the pagan goddess. This is not God's way of breaking down the uniqueness of male and female. Wisdom as a woman is simply a picture. It is simply a personification of something beautiful. We use the same kind of personification all the time. We say a ship. We, we refer to in the feminine. Oh, it, did you see that ship out in the harbor? She was beautiful. Or, or a car. Yeah, she was fast. She was a you know fast car. Or some object of beauty. We tend to personify objects of beauty and virtue in the feminine. And that's all Solomon is doing here. But listen closely, and this is critical to understanding this. Wisdom is personified as a woman, but wisdom was realized as a man. Personified as a woman, but realized as a man. Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. Paul says to the church in Colossae, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is personified by Solomon as a woman, but realized as a man, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus is not some treasure, and He's not partial treasure. He is all the treasure of wisdom, in and of Himself. Paul says in Romans 11.33, "...Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable His ways!" The riches of God's wisdom are found in Christ Jesus. He is the realization, He is the actualization, He is the incarnation of godly wisdom. And so if you want wisdom, don't go after the personification. You go after the person who is Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 12.42, the Queen of the South, speaking of the Queen of Sheba, will rise up with this generation at the, at the judgment and will condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is the greater than Solomon. Matthew 13.54, He came to His hometown. He began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished, and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 tells us there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time wisdom in person is a man that's why by the way months ago years ago i guess it was over a year ago when the book the shack came out that's why i had such a big problem with it Because of the personification, two out of three of the personifications of the Trinity in that book are feminine. But in the real Trinity, three out of three are masculine. Why is that, Rick? Is God just a chauvinist? No, it's just the way He's chosen to present Himself and for us to understand. I don't fully understand why. But I know that's what Scripture teaches. Wisdom personified as a woman that we might understand and take it in gently and compassionately and virtuously, but in person, wisdom is a man, Jesus Christ. But understand this. Wisdom is not something He gives away. You don't go to Jesus to get bits and pieces of wisdom. Wisdom is Jesus. If you want wisdom, you've got to get Jesus. Not just some of what He offers. He's the embodiment of of all wisdom. And if we don't get this, we won't get wisdom. Peter and John stood before the highest Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And as they stood there in defense of their faith, the the Sanhedrin was blown away by their wisdom. Remember this? Listen to what they said. Acts 4.13, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understand that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Because Jesus is wisdom. You want wisdom, you got to be with Jesus. You want to grow in the virtue and the compassion and the gentleness and all these other things that are described here, you've got to be with Jesus. It's not wisdom from Jesus. It's not wisdom given given by Jesus. It is wisdom in Jesus. A true story that John Corson tells. In the glory days of Rome, there was a Roman senator, very wealthy, and he had only one son. And as he grew older, he came to the point where he got very sick and he was going to die, and he had his will brought out that he had drawn up years before. And because of his son's behavior and his attitude, the senator wiped his son out of his will. said, I'm not going to give him. My estate. He said, Instead, I want to give my estate to my most faithful servant, Demetrius. Demetrius gets it all. And so the will is rewritten. And then just before he died, he returned to his will. He had it brought out again and he made one exception. He added one clause. He said, However, my son may choose one thing from all of my property, my son may choose one item from all my possessions. And then he died. When the will was read, everyone was shocked. Demetrius was there, having been given the entire estate, and the senator's son was there with the opportunity to choose one thing. And the son smiled in a wily way and said, I'll take Demetrius. I'll take Demetrius. And he got it all. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. If you want them, You've got to say, I'll take Jesus. Because it's in Him that wisdom is brought forth. It's in Him that we become wise. Does not wisdom call? And understanding lift up her voice. On the top of the heights, beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the opening of the city, at the entrance to the door, she cries out. You know what's beautiful about this? In personifying wisdom as a woman, poetically, and in recognizing wisdom as a man in reality, Jesus Christ, God offers wisdom to men and women. God paints a broad brush and says, My wisdom is for all of my sons and daughters. My wisdom is for all men and women. My wisdom is in Jesus Christ. Choose Him. And Paul writes in Colossians 2.6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete." So don't be a fool. Don't be an airhead. Don't be a simpleton. Take Jesus. You need no one else. And Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for coming into this world and for actualizing wisdom before our very eyes. We thank You that we have the realization of true wisdom in You. We thank You, Father, that in these last days, though You spoke to the prophets... In many portions and in many ways in these last days you have chosen to speak to us through your Son. And as we enter into our time of worship this morning, we lift up and highlight Jesus. And Lord, we declare here this morning, here today, we'll take Jesus. We will take Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.